you've got to find something about that career that you absolutely love, something that gets you out of bed every single day. I mean, not once have I woken up in the morning and dreaded going to work since I made this change. I consider myself very lucky. I'm, I know I'm not the norm. It's a privilege to be in this industry. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I, I feel myself very lucky. I consider myself very lucky. This is The Crackling. I'm Anthony Huckstep. After feeling out of his depth as a leader in a kitchen while working as a chef, Darren O'Rourke decided to reassess his career in the food industry. The moment led him to a move into butchery, and a decade later, he's become a one of The moment led him to move into butchery, and a decade later, he's become one of Australia's very best. Darren, he made the transition from chef to butcher. What sparked that career change? It was, um, it, it, it was, it was, I mean, it all stems from my kind of, my work ethic and the way I, I look at sort of people that I admire and people that lead me and, and I can never work for people that, that I don't absolutely respect, admire and sort of can learn from. And I mean, that's a, I don't know, that's just the way I've, I've kind of always been with, with anyone that I look up to or with anyone that's leading me. Um, I guess what it came down to was that, to make a very long story short, I started my apprenticeship when I was um, about sort of 26 or 27 and and progressed really quickly in, in the one place at the Bathers Pavilion in Balmoral. Um, super busy kitchen, um, you know, really full-on service didn't stop from 7am till sort of 10 at night. But essentially what happened was when I did get out and, and moved to a different kitchen, I went to, to work for Alex Herbert at Bird Cowfish. And there was there was one particular night there we'd we'd run out of a, a certain dessert and I just kind of froze because of where I'd done my training. I didn't spend a lot of time in the pastry kitchen, and this particular night, middle of service, we'd run out of a dessert and I couldn't come up with an alternative just to sort of keep the ball rolling. One of our apprentices did, and it was just it was that little moment that kind of just made me think that I had by default become one of those people that. If the tables were turned, I couldn't look up to them or look to them for advice or the next move sort of thing. So, I mean, it wasn't a it wasn't a poor me kind of a situation. It was just a hang on, you need to reassess this and and work out what to do sort of thing. Whether it was a, you know, I mean, by this stage, I'm what am I, I'm thirty two or something. So, yeah, I didn't I didn't I didn't have that that luxury, I guess, for want of a better word, of moving around during my apprenticeship. I just stayed in the one spot for seven years and. Yeah, that moment just kind of made me think. Hang on, I need to, I need to reassess this. And that's when Victor Churchill, the rumor mill, was was sort of kicking over, and I found myself applying for a job there. And that's kind of, yeah, that was twelve years ago. How did that feel? Uh, that process of transitioning to a butcher. Were, were you nervous about it? And when you first started the job, what did it feel like? Well, it was a slow, a slow transition because when I moved over there. Um, I was just, I just became one of the floor staff. So, you know, the floor of Victor Churchill, there's the service staff and then there's the sort of the slicing and the rotisserie counter. So I, I found myself on that slicing rotisserie counter for the first few months and it was only, and when you're on that counter, we kind of, whoever was on that one just, they kind of, that, that section was, was so busy that you just didn't get off it. You were there from the very beginning, you know, way before the shop opened up, getting the chickens and everything ready and 
you were just there until the end, so you didn't even have that much time or or um, need for that matter to get to the front of the store and even look at what was happening in the fresh meat counter or what the butchers were doing. So it was only when I kind of organically made my way off that section closer to the front of the, sto- the store that I just found myself hanging around the butcher's door just talking to them and getting ready to sort of help them whenever they needed something. So it was a really, really slow transition. It it started out as, you know, running to get this and that, maybe cutting a couple of spatchcocks, whatever. Um, and then it, it progressed into a day here, two days and, yeah, kind of. So it was it was super slow, super slow. You mentioned earlier that you started your apprenticeship around 26, 27, which is a lot later than most people. Tell us about the years before that. Why did you make that move into food? I sort of, I mean, I um, I worked straight from from sort of year twelve. I I was never going to go to uni, um, but it didn't really dawn on me that I <laughs> I didn't have much to do until school had finished, and I found my way into a like a, a a college at Parramatta doing sort of hospitality and that sort of thing, and I just the the bar work component of that course really kind of resonated with me for obvious reasons, being an 18, 19-year-old working with, with alcohol. But it sort of went – I got a job at the the local bar we did our our training with and our sort of courses there, and then that led to a job at the Novotel in Darling Harbour, and I ended up staying there for five years or so and, and moved to London. Um, so after, you know, sort of three and a half years in London, I got back and I'd promised myself that I'd be doing something completely different within a year. And again, I got back from London and found myself working behind a bar again at the Bathers Pavilion, and and it was uh, yeah, it was Serge that that made it all happen. He um yeah, he sort of I I went to Serge one afternoon for some advice on cooking. I wanted to learn how to cook because when I was in the UK, I sort of you know I, I started to find this love of 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 good food and amazing produce and all of that sort of thing. Cause I didn't grow up this way, you know, meat and three veg kind of kid, but yeah, I wanted to learn how to cook and, and I wanted a bit of discipline and Serge, I, I said to Serge, look, should I go to TAFE and just do the cooking course here or what should I do? And he said, just, you know, start an apprenticeship. But of course at that age it was, I didn't think it was possible. And I, and I made that very clear to Serge just from a money point of view. But I mean, he was amazing. And he, he just said, look, you move into the kitchen now, you stay on the same salary you are as, as head barman and you do TAFE on your day off. And so, yeah, if it wasn't for Serge, none of this, I think it's safe to say none of this would have happened. This path never would have opened up for me. Tell us about your time in that kitchen and working with Serge. He's one of Australia's most influential chefs and Bather's Pavilion is legendary. What, what was it like in that kitchen? It was, I mean, look, we, you know, there's there's three kitchens in that place. There's obviously the fine dining restaurant and the cafe and then the pastry kitchen. So I was moved into the cafe there. I worked under a, a chef named Philip Sajwitz. Um, Serge was obviously in there a lot, but he devoted the bulk of his time in the fine dining restaurant. So, you know, in the early days, it was all, it was me just learning directly from, you know, my sous chefs and from Philip Um but it was it was a hardcore kitchen. I mean, you know, we opened at seven for breakfast, and then it flowed from at midday. It flowed straight into lunch, and then from lunch it didn't stop until until dinner service was over. I mean, you know, back then, if we did any less than sort of six hundred or so on a Sunday, it was considered a quiet day. 
it, it was just, it's a machine of a kitchen, an absolute machine of a kitchen. Um, an amazing thing. I mean, I, I ended up getting to sous chef level and that was, that was always my goal. I was never going to cook forever. It was, I gave myself 10 years or until I got to sous chef and I did get to sous chef at bathers and the amount of times on a Sunday you'd sort of, I used to just walk off the line and just stand there and just watch. Um, it's like any kitchen and so many chefs can attest to just watching the way a line works is it's, it's phenomenal. It's, it's phenomenal. It, it was really an amazing place. I learned a hell of a lot from there. That's for sure. You, you mentioned bird cowfish and Alex Herbert's one of our um, finest chefs as well. And restaurateurs, what was it like in that kitchen compared to um, the bathers? It was so different. I mean, you know, bathers was what we had. We had two crews um, in the brigade. There was probably, Oh, probably 12 or 13 in the brigade in total. Um, bird cow fish was, was just a small handful of us and, and Alex was there on the pans every single night as well. Um, yeah, what, what you get, what you got to learn under, I mean, look, Alex was the first, the, per- the first person that really introduced to me that whole concept of, of a restaurateur or a chef or a, a food business having direct open and very very real conversations directly with the producers um she'd worked with maggie and colin beer you know for that many years and relationships she had directly with richard gunner um you know with uh with i mean with so many people you know the bulk of what we bought at the time was directly from the farmer um yeah she was she was buying stuff directly from from grant hilliard way back in the day when it was just sort of eggs here and you know this sort of stuff like it it was a real change of of attitude for me and to be honest at the time I took it all for granted um in in a really big way but you know looking back on it Alex is is very much um a huge reason why I sort of have the mentality I have now and yeah she's uh if Serge Serge certainly started this journey for me but Alex turned it in a in a way that I at the time I don't think anyone else ever could have to be honest. Tell us about um, you talked about the early transition and the organic nature of moving to become a butcher while you were at Victor Churchill. When when you started in that sort of butcher section, once you'd been there a little while, um, what was it like? How can how can you compare it to being in a kitchen? Is it is it quite different, or are there similarities? Um. <laughs> I think the thing that really <laughs> it was funny. I kept sort of, I had this habit just of looking at the time, you know, just before midday because you're obviously getting ready for lunch service in the kitchen <laughs> or whatever. And I just was naturally just, I'd look at the at the clock at at ten o'clock, eleven o'clock, whatever, and just I'd be all sort of wound up, ready to go into service, and then thinking, hang on, I'm not in that game anymore. It's a little <laughs> bit different. But I mean, look, it was certainly. It was. It, it almost felt like it was a prep day. You had just you spent the entire day doing prep, but you were just you were serving at the same time. And it was a bit different for the butchers at Victor Churchill back then, because by and large we didn't do any of the sort of the face to face serving of the customers. It's it's changed a lot now, and we we certainly do. Um, but back then it was literally just you prepped, you filled the case. You prepped some more and you kept filling the case. It was, yeah, very different. Tell us a bit about Victor Churchill. We'll get to Vic's Meats soon because your role is is with yeah. that now. But it's it's won awards all over the globe. It's the most extraordinary um, butcher. 
Um, for those that haven't been there, tell, tell us about um, what it offers. What it offers? Um, I mean, look, it, it started out offering something that certainly to my mind no no retail butcher store in the country offered, um, that being product that was that was otherwise destined for export markets or destined for some of the finest plates in the finest restaurants in the country. Um, I mean, we all, we all know just how good our primary producers are and how good our sort of, you know, beef and lamb and, and everything else is. But I mean, the fact is that the vast majority of it is destined for export. And as I say, the, the rest of it is mostly going to, to the food service industry. So there were no butcher shops that were, that were offering meat of that quality. So from the outset, that was that was what set Victor Churchill apart in in my opinion, my belief. Um, forgetting the aesthetics and everything else about Victor Churchill, but it was all it was all based on product. It was based on getting the best of the best and giving that best of the best to 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 a different market and to people that might not otherwise have been able to afford it. Or maybe not afford it, but not have not have had access to it. Um, it was a very, very different store. I mean, the first day I worked, it walked in there for the interview. I sort of, I mean, as a lot of people have done since, I kind of walked in there and just looked around and had a good hard look at myself and thought, "Hang on, can I, can I even work in a place like this?" It was, it was quite daunting. But, but the funny thing is, and ironically, it's the most undaunting place I've ever worked in, um, and that was all built around the culture that we that we fought really, really hard to build there about being welcoming um about it being the experience it's um yeah it's a really really special place hey you've been working with the Paharich family for over a decade now what's it like they're quite hands-on with the with the businesses what's it like working with them um (laughs) never a dull moment (laughs) it's yeah it's i mean you can't you can't get a better a better sort of um, way of describing the way the family works. I mean, Anthony's there seven days a week. Anita's there sort of six days a week and still working remotely on the seventh day virtually. Vic to this day is still there six days a week. I mean, the amount of hours I spent next to that man during COVID, um, you, you you can't help but find yourself. I mean, look, I was already loyal to the family anyway, um, just because, you know, they were the ones that gave me the chance to, to do what I wanted to do amongst other things. But you can't help but want to work for people that work harder than you ever can do, not just because it's their business, but because they believe in what they're doing. Um, you know, Vic leads from the front that what that guy at his age can do would blow most people half his age out of the water. I mean, the guy is just, he's, he's a machine. With your background with chefing, has there been skills and lessons learned that you've transferred into your butchery career? Yeah, totally. I, I think the, the, the one thing that I found when I started butchery was that, and, and I still think this now, it's still, it's certainly changing, but it was just same, same. It didn't matter what store you went to in what corner of, what country town in any part of the country, it was by and large same cuts, same same colours, same specs. Like it was just same, same. Everything was the same. Um, and I was really lucky enough to, to be working with, you know, at, back in the day there, Vic and Danny and Pete. So, you know, guys that collectively over 150 years worth of experience sort of thing. You know, I wanted to know more. I wanted to know about 
I had that chef's fascination, that chef's, you know, sort of drive and, and want to, to change the menu and keep it, keep it evolving sort of thing. So I wanted to know all sorts of different things. And, you know, these, the guys that were teaching me, they didn't know these answers, but they, they never lied to me. They never sort of led me down the wrong path or tried to convince me that something that was wrong was actually right just because, you know, that's, that's how they wanted to roll. They didn't do that. They just said they didn't know and they gave me the everything they could give me to try and work it out for myself. So I guess from the outset, I was always looking at that that case, that display at Victor Churchill. I tried to never look at it as just being a butcher's display and it was the same thing every single day. I wanted to change it as much as I could. I wanted it to evolve. Um, I wanted it to be more seasonal. Um, so I guess in that regard, you know, coming from, from sort of 10 years in the kitchen, it, I wanted to, to, to translate that through into the butcher's case, which I didn't feel like many butchers did at the time, to be honest. You've now um, moved to um, work on the Vic's meat side of things, which is um, far greater volume, but there's that continual sort of connection with farmers and ethical meats. Give, give us a sense of the scale of, of, of your role and, and Vic's meats. Yeah, it, um, it's been a bit of a, an evolving role since I moved there. So I moved there just over two years ago. Um, in the beginning, it was meant to be sort of a kind of a pivotal role. I was meant to sort of fill this, this gap, try and be a bit of a conduit between, between producers, our sales team, our production team and our purchasing team. Um, but as, as that role started to sort of progress and, and I started to find my feet and felt like I was starting to add value. That's when sort of COVID hit and, and obviously everything changed. So, you know, that was where, where Anthony just said to me, look, everything that we'd planned to do needs to go on hold and I just need people to be where they're going to bring, where they're going to help the most, where they're going to bring the most value. And for me, that was straight back downstairs on the knives. So wow, I was down there for, yeah, down there for what the better part of a year and a half. Um, as I say, working next to Vic every day. And, you know, we kind of rebuilt that team. We had a large team of butchers and we lost quite a few of them through the process for, for various reasons. And it ended up at the start of COVID, it was literally just me and Vic. And then, you know, a few more sort of came back on and we've, we've built it now to a really solid team. The guy that runs the show down there now, Troy, Troy is just, Troy's an old school butcher with, with an engine, you know, bigger than a than a jet plane. The guy's he's he's a machine as well. So it was a slow build to get it back up to where we are now, going through the inception of the the online business and then sort of rebuilding food service. And, you know, that's a massive focus for it now for us now is to rebuild that side that side of it. Um but now I've moved back up into the office now into into another change again. So I'm more in, in purchasing a little bit of sales but back again with that producer relations and sort of you know trying to fill that that void there between between a few different departments so it's, it's another massive challenge for me you mentioned that your time with alex herbert triggered that sort of connection with producers and it's something that vicks uh, meets is renowned for um, highlighting the talents of some of the best producers in australia 
tell us about some of the the pork producers that you deal with and 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 what makes their products so great um i mean look if if we're talking about sort of on a on a larger scale the the kurabuta pork the the berkshire pigs that we use at vix uh, vix has been using those oh look for the better part of sort of 14 15 years i think it is i mean i distinctly remember ordering that pork from vix when i was at, at bird cow fish um so that's 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 a product that I've been working with for the whole time I've been with Vix. Um, incredible product. It's it's always super consistent. Um, I mean, to be honest, and and not not just plugging the the product I work with, but it is actually the the pork that changed my mind on pork. I didn't wasn't a fan of pork prior to to working at Bird Cow Fish. It was only through through trying this product I thought, hang on, I've clearly not been eating good pork. Up until this point, which is not, I'm, I'm not the only person to have said that. Um, I mean, we're lucky now that there are so many good pork producers around. Um, I mean, I've worked with, you know, sort of Chris Kelly, Chris Kelly from, from Crack Willow Farm. He's not there anymore, but he was doing amazing pigs. Uh, Andrew Hearn at Near River Produce up at Pappenborough on the mid-north coast up near Warhope there. Um Sam and Katrina Spark at Redleaf Farm in Fitzroy Falls. I mean, you know, there's. I've been lucky enough to work with some phenomenal pork over the years. Bandara Berkshires are really great. Melbrook from Victoria Berkshires are fantastic. There, there's some really good pork out there. Hey, really good. There's a real art to butchering whole animals. Um, is it? Is it something? Uh, well, tell us a bit about. Uh, butchering whole pigs and and some of your favourite cuts that perhaps aren't ones that are sort of common to most people. Yeah, sure. I mean, I sort of pigs are pigs are breaking down a a whole pig is it's kind of done in pretty much the same way every time. There aren't. It's not to say that there aren't possibilities to use them differently. Of course there are, but I think you know the thing that sort of resonated with me mostly was. When I was in in the UK, living over there, I had a Spanish girlfriend for quite a while, and we spent a lot of time in Spain. We'd sort of fly back and forth from London to Madrid, you know, once every two, three weeks, whatever. Um, the flights were just so damn cheap, but you know, some of the the way the Spanish break down their pigs, the way they breed their pigs, the way they process them and break them down is is completely different to us, as I'm sure you and and a lot of people would know, but. Even just those those famous Spanish cuts, the presser and pluma and secreto, um, you know, it took me a long time to work out where all of those cuts came from. But that's that's something that we do at the moment for our online store. We we break them down a little bit differently to offer those sorts of cuts. So it's not just you know racks and cutlets and loin chops the whole way through. Um, I mean that you know everyone knows that the pig is is literally the most giving animal on the land in terms of what you can get from it. And it's, it's so true. It's so true. I mean, even the belly, you can break that entire belly down into each individual muscle and each one can be used in a, in a different way with a different a cooking application. It's, there's always more to learn from, from breaking down pigs, I reckon. You have the background of being a chef and now one of Australia's best butchers. But are you on the pans much these days at home? Do you cook many um, pork dishes? Is there any uh, cuts you like to cook? You can tell us about. Yeah, I do at home a hell of a lot. I mean, at least at least every every second Sunday for me is spent sort of cooking something. Um, 
look, I'm always using my smoker or, you know, doing something not so much slow. I'm just, I'm not into, I'm not into fancy food. I'm not into sort of, I don't know. I, I like cooking simply. I, I only, I've only ever liked cooking simply and, and, you know, not to, not to bring anything new to the table. Everyone knows full well that if you start with amazing ingredients, you, there's nowhere to hide. It's, it's not the cook or the chef's ego or anything like that on the plate. It's just the food. You sort of, you're more putting, if anything, you're putting the producer on the plate. You're putting what they have done. Cause at the end of the day, that's where it all starts. You, you, you can't polish a turd, so to speak. So <laughs> if you start with, with rubbish, it doesn't matter what you do to it. It's going to end up as rubbish. So, I guess my love of cooking simply is is driven by that, driven by by respect for what the producers have done in the very beginning to sort of get it to us. Um, I mean, in terms of cooking with pork here, it's I don't know. I love I love the fattier cuts. I love I love sort of confying belly or or you know there was once I had a a suckling shoulder from Katrina and Sam at Redleaf. And this thing, I ended up, I, I confit it overnight. Like, did you salted it as as you should, sort of thing, and confit it overnight. And then that one was was sort of simply roasted the next day, like really blasted, really really hot. And I've never ever ever been able to replicate how that one turned out. That was <laughs> probably the the one of the best things, certainly the best pork product I've ever cooked. Um, but even you know, sort of. Break, breaking the jowl down, getting that really thin sort of piece of ribbon of meat out of the center of the jowl and and using that as a fast cooking cut as opposed to a braising cut. Um, incredible. I mean, trotters, you know. I remember when we used to get the – the um, we used to get some pigs out of, out of Millbrook in Victoria and the way they were processed there, they always left – quite often you'll see the – the front trotters are either broken off or they're split from the hock itself. But all of those ones were always left intact. Um, and I used to love boning those out and then filling them. I mean, Nick Hill at, at the old fits at the time now, poor scene, he was taking those off me and that this, he was doing this phenomenal, I'm sure you would have seen it. It was a stuffed stuffed trotter with the, the, head, the head bacon he used to make and then it was deep fried and served with grabiche or something. I mean, yeah, that that's that's food of the angels as far as I'm concerned. Um, I don't know. I'll I'll cook anything. I just I just I get bored very easily. I'll cook anything, and I'll I'll never I'll never rest on that's the best way to cook that product or that cut. So that's all I'm ever going to do. I I always get itchy feet and want to try something different. And you know what? It doesn't always work. But I mean, that's what keeps you learning, right? The transition that you made from chef to butcher has become. Um, pretty amazing and you've the company's done amazing things and you've been a big part of that but what is it that you love about um, being a butcher it's funny it's it's kind of everything I mean I've I, I I love early mornings I love getting out of bed before the sun rises I love the smell of the butcher shop I love the cold I've always been someone that hates summer and hates being hot so yeah like if I had my way it would be kind of gray and 13, 14 degrees every day of the year. So, yeah, working working stupid hours in the morning in a cold environment ticks 90% of my boxes. Um, but aside that, from that, it's it, it's all started with this, 
you know, I mean, I guess you can put it all down to a few sort of pivotal points in my life and one of them being the, the time that I spent in Spain being exposed to, you know, eating wood-grilled sardines on a plastic tablecloth sort of table in a tiny little place in up in the north of Spain in Asturias. There's tiny little moments that just ignited this love of food, which which in turn ignited a want to cook, which in turn ignited a hang on, I need to step sideways and move to a butchery. So there's nothing about there's nothing about food that I don't love. Um, I just seem to have found a a bit of a home in in butchery and a love for, for producers and what they do. It's I don't know. There's there's not a single part of this industry that I don't love. The last year has been challenging and you sort of briefly touched on some of the changes in your career as a result of that. How have you felt in the last year? Um, is it, is, are you treating your job and uh, role differently um, with the connection with farmers and consumers? Um, definitely with consumers because at the end of the day, consumers are what have gotten us through the last sort of 18 months. Um, you know, we flash back to when, when food service and, and all of those amazing restaurants across the country just fell off a cliff. Um, we had a lot of product that had to go somewhere and it was consumers that saved us. I mean, there's, there's no denying that. So certainly the first, the first part of that, that time that I spent back on the knives was all devoted towards, towards the product and where we were going to put it, where we were going to place it, what we were going to do with it, where we were going to place it, um, it's now shifted, you know, now that we've found some really amazing homes and some amazing applications and where to put these things, my focus has certainly shifted. It's not not just with my role change, but, you know, with, with a bit of comfort in what we were doing, I had a bit more time and a bit more sort of mental energy to spend trying to focus back on producers and trying to rekindle some uh, some some conversations that were started and just sort of ended abruptly. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, the focus for me is, is certainly doing another U-turn and going back towards where it all begins on the land sort of thing. There's been a lot of people considering career changes and over the last year, given, given what's happened and you've made a real success of um, a career change. What advice would you have for people that are looking to do something a bit, sort of to the left yeah. or right of what they're doing? Um, look, I guess if, if, if you're going to make a, a career change, you're doing it because you clearly want to. So I guess the whole, the whole thing really, really for me, really focusing on that fact that, I mean, for me, I had, a, I had a cut and dry reason. I had to do it because I had become that person that I felt, couldn't lead a team and as I say that wasn't a, a poor me moment it was just a realization so I had a real desire and a very real need to find something that I could do and to never put myself in that position again I don't ever want to be in the position that anyone that I work with can't look to me for an answer or and I'm not saying I've got all the answers I mean you learn something new every single day it's something I hold really close to my heart but I'm in a better position now than I ever have been to to either give the answer, find the answer, or point you in the right direction of the answer. So in terms of changing careers, it's I guess you just have to focus on the end goal. Why did you want to change careers in the first place? 
you've got to find something about that career that you absolutely love, something that gets you out of bed every single day. I mean, you know, not I'm not just saying this, but not once have I woken up in the morning and dreaded going to work since I made this change. Wow. It's um and that's you know, that's hand on heart truth. I I consider myself very lucky. I'm I know I'm not the norm, but but I also know that this industry breeds a lot of really strong, really passionate and amazingly devoted and resilient people right the way through from the land right the way through to the butcher. Um, look, Huck, it's, it's, it's a privilege to be in this industry. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I, I feel myself very lucky. I consider myself very lucky. Well, we've been very lucky to have you share your story on The Crackling today. Uh, you're a bloody inspiration, mate, and what you guys do um, is amazing. And uh, the, the spotlight that you put on the incredible producers is just just amazing as well we've loved having you on the crackling today mate um please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon i will man it's been a pleasure thanks for thanks for the invitation i really appreciate it this is the crackling a deep in the weeds production in partnership with pork star i'm anthony huckstep stay tuned as we catch up with some of australia's best chefs and pork producers to discover what makes australian pork so special